Good to see everybody this morning. Got a few announcements. Want to get out of the way before we get into the lesson. Uh, want to remind everyone that this Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. is our monthly study with the elders. Yeah, this is something that the elders have been doing for, what guys, six months, something like that, five, six months at this point. Does that sound about right? Anyway, it's been a really encouraging time to get together on an off day to study the scriptures, figure out what the scriptures are teaching on particular subjects. If you've been missing that, you miss in fellowship, you miss in Bible study, I really would encourage you, the elders would encourage you to be there for it. This, this month's study subject is the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. And so it's one of those big subjects that Jeremy got assigned and has to do in six hours. So it will be a short study. Man, we need to stand up and do jumping jacks or something this morning? Goodness. Anyway, encourage everybody to be there. The Christmas party yesterday. Goodness. I have never in my life seen that much potato salad in one place, and gumbo, and cheesecake. I did my best to get rid of as much of that cheesecake as I could, and I told myself I'd only have dessert after I ate a bowl of gumbo, and I had several trips to the dessert table. It was fantastic. Turnout was great. Really want to express our appreciation to Joe and Karen for getting that thing put together guys did a fantastic job. Give them a round of applause, whatever you want to do. It just was fantastic, especially because Karen has to deal, had a sickness to deal with all week, and she's planning that out, and I'm not talking about Joe. (laughs) Love you guys. Really appreciate you doing that. Keep your ears to the ground. They've got more stuff in the works for opportunities for fellowship, and just thankful for the work that they're doing and all of that. I want to remind everyone the life group sign-up sheets are in the back. Deadline for sign-up is December 26th. That's coming very quickly. We need to have everybody that's wanting to be a part of life group sign up on that sheet so we can get the groups built and get those letters out uh, probably middle of January so that everybody knows who their group leader is, what group they're in, so we can start those the first Sunday in February. The same with the Everybody Can Sing Sign-up sheet, go ahead and get that, your name on that, like the same deadline for sign-up so I have enough time to get materials printed and prepared for that when we start that uh, on the 13th. And have you guys noticed, I know this might seem strange, the last line of that song that we just sang, talking about living in times of strife but yet continually joyful, that each day is supposed to be a little bit brighter for us as we live under Christ's umbrella of leadership, right? Well, today, whether you noticed it or not, the world is a little bit brighter in southwest Louisiana. And I'm not talking about the fog finally lifting. But if you haven't seen true joy, then I would encourage you to just take a look at Robin Barry's face today. As he's got his wife and three boys sitting next to him this morning, we're thankful that they finally got here. Thankful to see them here. There's going to be challenges ahead, and we know that there's challenges ahead. Don't forget you got family in this local, and we're here to help. Open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, guys. That's where we're going to find ourselves as we talk about the program. You know, it's interesting. If I was to say of one subject that would make all of us break out into cold sweats, our palms would get sweaty, our knees would get weak, 
we would start running for the door, do you know what that subject would be? Evangelism. Man, a preacher says that word and the congregation goes down by half, right? Anytime we start talking about evangelism or doing all of those different things, people are just like, nope, not me, I'm out of here. But if you pay attention to what Peter has been doing in his first letter, what he's been presenting to us, and he spent a considerable amount of time in words pointing out some things, particularly how deliberate God has been and is in his plans and purpose for us. That he hasn't done this haphazardly. He hasn't done it like that picture I showed you last week with the generator on the trunk of that LTD running a window air conditioning unit on the car. It's not sloppy that he's very purposeful in how he has accomplished these things, and he expects us to also have that same purpose in our lives, that we have responsibilities that guide our behaviors, and that we are built on that chief cornerstone on Christ to be the light into the darkness. That is who we have been built into and what we're supposed to be. And it really makes sense, right? Because how many people on this earth truly understand Mercy and grace, justice also, discipline, if it's not God's people. Those of us that have actually experienced grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy, knowing that because of our choices, our sin, we, have no, we no longer have to pay the penalty for that sin and that in Christ is found, life is found that we experience those things. And and so we talk about this and and we start thinking about it. And now Peter transitions in his thought process into a section of the text that most of us probably practice the Passover on. You guys know what I mean when I say practicing the Passover. How many of us have ever done that in in the Bible where we get to a a section of the text and we're like, no, practicing the Passover on that because that's uncomfortable. It means I might have to do something differently. Right? Right? Because he is talking about what we're supposed to be doing now in particular, if you'll read with me, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of salvation. Now, historically, whenever evangelism is talked about, it's usually centered on some sort of program, right? And Chris had mentioned cold calls this morning in class, and my mind immediately went to door knocking, right? That it's some kind of door knocking campaign, some kind of letter writing campaign, some fancy program that we engage in that says, all right, we're doing evangelism. We're going to hit it. And, but have you ever noticed that we, when we do evangelism, it's only for a particular period of time? And then after that, we don't have to do it anymore. We're, you know, we've done our, our 96 hours for the year, and God checks that off of our list, and we're good to go, and we can continue doing everything else that we want to do. But I wonder if the reason we do those things And don't misunderstand me. I'm not speaking against door knocking. I'm not speaking against letter writing. I'm not speaking against any of those things. But I wonder if the reason we do those things is so that we can make it comfortable for folks so they don't actually have to do it by themselves. There's no personal responsibility in that. It's kind of a teamwork thing. 
And I think what adds to our confusion when whenever we're talking about evangelism and we start looking at how we're supposed to be behaving as God's people, well, we get confused because the, the word evangelist only appears three times and it's only talking about one guy. Right? In each of those instance, instances, in Acts 21.8, Ephesians 4.11, and 2 Timothy 4.5, it's talking about a specific individual. Now, hold on, because I can see you guys getting all excited and getting ready to wash your hands of evangelism. Give me a second, okay? We don't get to do that. We have to remember that there's way more other scripture that points to the fact that every Christian is responsible for this. And since the literal definition of evangelist is bearer of good news, raise your hand if that applies to you. Okay, so you're, we're, we're, man, we're halfway there. You guys have already admitted it. Sermon's over. I can sit down. No. In these two sentences in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter starts or sets up the rest of this letter and shows how there is not a program of evangelism that God has built into the church, but that we are the program that God has established, okay? He's, he gets into this and he says, listen, guys, there's a couple things you need to understand that as you're living in this world, but as aliens and strangers, which, all right, and, and in case there's any confusion on this, we need to be living in such a way in our distinctiveness that people look at us like we're aliens, this is actually a relatively easy concept for us to understand today, right? Because if, if some, some being walked in that back door and he had three heads, 12 arms, and six toes, because he wouldn't have legs, he'd just have toes, would you say, you are just not of this world? Would you be able to easily recognize that being as not being from this world? Okay. So understand, when Peter says, I urge you as aliens and strangers, we have to be easily identified as someone who is not of this world. We have to be that distinctive because that is God's purpose for us. And again, I'm not negating choice on this, but if we're all in on this, we're going to be this way, okay? And you can think of it in terms of a light switch. How many of you guys have ever stumped your leg or toe on a piece of furniture as you've walked around the house in the dark? Why do we walk around the house in the dark, by the way? Anybody even answer that for me? I do it just because I'm paranoid and I like to know where all my stuff is so if somebody comes in my house when they're not supposed to, I can get around like a ninja. Right? And then Sunny's like, I got you, and she moves the furniture. But think of it in terms of the first time in the morning, or, and some of us get up early, right? And it's just pitch black, and you hit that light, and what is your first reaction the minute that light switch goes on? Duh! Right? That's the distinctive nature Peter is getting at here. That's what he's talking about. Everyone understands that when a light comes on in the darkness, it is noticeable. That's the purpose of light, okay? And Peter tells us that we're different because God has made us different, so act like you're different. Man, it almost sounds like he's parents talking to kids, doesn't it? And here's the deal. Because we are different and because we act like we're different, people will notice that we're different. Look at what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, all right? He says, you're the light of the world. 
Now, I can imagine the people standing there and sitting there listening to Jesus going, yeah, 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 we are. We're God's chosen people, apple of his eye, whole nine yards. We know how that works. And, but notice what he says next. A, a city on a, set on a hill can't be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And when they see your good works, they will then in turn glorify God who is in heaven. So understand, there's, there's two types of people in this world, all right? There's, there's the Christian who has a firm grip and understanding of what the gospel is. They've embraced it. They understand the grace and the mercy, all of those things that are wrapped up in the good news of Jesus, okay? They have accepted that message, and then you have those, and so now these are living as light in light. Does that make sense? Okay, his light shines through us. That's as light. We live in his light. We've been talking about that in our Wednesday night class here in the auditorium. All right, so we understand what light is. We understand everything else. Then on the other side, there's the darkness piece. And you've got those who are in darkness in this world. And, we, and we've talked about this, but I have to say it again. Do people in darkness always know that they are in darkness? No, they do not. So how are they going to know that they're in darkness until light comes into the picture? Unless we just want them to stay in darkness. And while they are in darkness, they're not worrying about fighting against sinful desires. They have no concern about that. But since we have chosen to be made into God's own possession, we've got a fight on our hands. And how we behave is important. There's, there's nothing special, guys. There's nothing special about a person who makes a claim and doesn't work at keeping it. You know why there's nothing special about those type of people? Because I meet them every day. And you do too. But there is someone special, or there is something, excuse me, special about a person who makes a claim and works diligently to maintain it. Notice I'm not saying do it perfectly, all right? but they make the claim and they are diligent about wanting to keep that claim. They're working at it. And, and when they, they make mistakes, they own up to the mistakes and they continue working on it and they continue moving forward. They continue walking in the light. There's something special about that. And people notice it. Now here's another thing that we need to be paying attention to as Peter is talking about keeping your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Who is responsible for how we behave? You ever stop to ask that question of yourself? Who's responsible for my behavior, Jeremy's behavior? Real quick, raise your hand if you're responsible for Jeremy's behavior. Make sure nobody's hiding behind pillars. Because as soon as I find them, I'm gonna get them. I am responsible for my behavior. None of you are responsible for my behavior. No one is responsible for another's behavior. 
And isn't that the point that Peter makes? He says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles because in the things that they slander you as evildoers, hey, they're going to be because of your good deeds as they observe them proven wrong. Well, boy, isn't that the exact opposite of how we're told to behave. Somebody's mistreating you, what what does the world say to do? Hey, eye for an eye. Right? Complete mistreatment of the other. You're going to treat me like that? Oh, well, the Bible says that we're supposed to treat others the way that we're supposed to be treated. So you're telling me how you want to be treated. Okay, I can get, the, I can get on that train. Their behavior does not change what God expects of us. If someone is slandering us, if someone is speaking evil against us, that does not change what God expects from us. And we are still held accountable to that choice about our behavior, no matter what is said or done to us, changes that fact. Because here's the deal. I know you don't like it, but I'm going to say it. You are always being watched. And I'm not talking about some conspiratorial government program where everybody, right, that's why we put duct tape over our webcams on our computers and on our cell phones so that nobody knows what we're doing. We are, God is always watching. But not only is God always watching, guess who else is always watching? Your neighbors. The people you work with. Those who you come into contact with in the grocery store. Especially when you go to Walmart on payday. Everyone is always watching. And you may think that they're not, but they are. And that is when we have the the opportunity, the privilege to actually show who it is that we serve, right? Look, just a couple pages over in your Bibles, perhaps, in 1 Peter chapter 3, right? And we'll deal with this more when we get there. But he's talking about just how we behave. And he says, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Don't fear their intimidation. Don't be troubled. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and pay attention. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. People are watching and we have to be ready. And so we get into this phrase that Peter presents here in verse 12 of chapter 2. When he says, and so that as they observe our good deeds, they're going to glorify God in the day of visitation. And there's a lot of different viewpoints on what this phrase means. We're not going to split frog hairs or get into that this morning. I'm just going to tell you what my view is at this point in time this morning. My view is that by observing the behavior of Christians, when the time comes, when they're presented with mercy and grace that God freely gives through his son, they will turn to him and convert. And they'll glorify him because of what they have initially seen in us and then experienced in the gospel, okay? And, and, and it's funny because I think at times, while we may not be brave enough to actually say it out loud, I think we look at some scriptures and we go, oh, man, you know, I get what he's saying there, but you really don't know what life is about, Peter, right? We, we pretend that it's a fairy tale or, or something that just doesn't even really apply to us because we believe, even though we're not, like I said, courageous enough to say it out loud, that they've never had to deal with this kind of stuff before. 
Peter is not blowing smoke here, guys. He is speaking from experience. Look at Acts chapter 5, okay? In Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them, however. The people held them in high esteem. They may not hung out with the Christians, but they sure did think a lot of them. They had a high opinion of them. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, that they were, and they were all being healed. Acts chapter 3, our scripture reading this morning. Peter and John are going to the temple at the ninth hour. This is the hour of prayer. And there's a man who had been lame from his mother's womb who was being carried along. They used to set him every day at the gate of the temple that's called Beautiful in order that he could beg of those who were entering the temple. He sees Peter and John approaching. They're about to go into the temple, and he begins to ask to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, look at this man, and they say, look at us. Look at us. The man looked at Peter and John. You you know what the look he's given, right? He's, He's looking for a handout. He's expecting to get something. Verse 6. Peter said, I know you're looking for money. I don't have it. I don't possess silver. I don't possess gold. And if this isn't underlined in your Bible, you need to. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Peter reaches down, picks him up, immediately sets him on his feet. Everything is good. This man understands everything is good because now he's experienced true healing. And with a leap, he stands and he's jumping around and he's praising God. And look at verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. They were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, I know what you're thinking, or at least I think I know what you're thinking. Well, that's easy to say, Jeremy. That was a miracle in both of those instances, right? And that there's no miracles like that today. We we don't get to have Peter and John and Paul and anybody else that's walking around doing all of these crazy miracles on folks. They had it way easier back then to proclaim Jesus as Lord because of the miracles. Man, that's true. There are no miracles today. But I would submit to you that they had it no easier than we do because there were still people that saw the miracles and didn't believe. And Peter is not talking to us about miracles in the text in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is talking about and pointing to the Gentiles seeing God at work in the lives of regular people and glorifying God. It's our behavior that brings that about. So this isn't a, hey, we're going to do a 
a program of evangelism next week that Peter is talking about here. That what Peter is declaring to us is that we are the program of evangelism. It isn't fancy, it ain't smancy. It's just people who have been changed by the power of God into what God has dictated that they should be. Because we couldn't do it all on our own. We couldn't do it on our own. This had to be done by God, right? When the prophet Isaiah says that God looked down to look for someone who could save and saw that no one could do it, and what was God's response? He went straight Thanos on us and said, I'll do it myself. That this was the only way that man could be saved was because of what God would do and did. And because of that great change, because of our choice to embrace the gospel that Jesus came to this earth, right? The fullness of God in bodily form, showing us how absolutely horrifically we have damaged the relationship with God, the one true God, and that it's only through his blood that we will ever have an opportunity to stand as righteous before the Father. He becomes both just and the justifier of us. And that through the confession of him as Lord and Savior, through our baptism, as we raise this new creature, guilt, conscience clean, guilt done away with, added to the building, the kingdom, where God wants us, with the expectation that we will live according to the program. We ready to live according to the program? I'm not convinced. Are we ready to live according to the program? All right. Let's be the people God wants us to be, man. Let's not think that we're too weak that we can't do it. God has empowered us to do these things. He has given us the strength to do these things. We can do it. It's not impossible. It's one of the great things I love about God. He never asks us to do anything impossible. But we've got to have the empowerment, and we've got to be fit according to God's purpose. And so as we stand and sing the song this morning, this is your opportunity, one of many that God will provide to you, or has provided to you, I should say. Take advantage of the opportunity. Be saved. That's what baptism is all about. The salvation so that we can embrace and experience the grace and mercy he's given. It's here for you. The water's ready. If you're a member of the body here at Boulevard that needs prayers, needs counsel from the elders, you can come and ask for those prayers up while we stand and sing, but also afterward, if you're uncomfortable, the elders are available in the back room to pray with you and counsel you, to comfort, to do whatever it is that you're needing because they care and they love you. If we can do anything for you this morning, we encourage you. Make it known while we stand and sing.